0: Exodus 20, verse 7. Again, we are in the middle of uh, going through the Ten Commandments in our evening services. We've already preached a sermon uh, on the legitimacy of the Ten Commandments for today. And so tonight it is not our purpose to do that, but to look at the Third Commandment to understand it and to apply it. It says there, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Amen. Let us pray again. Lord, may you by your Spirit open our eyes and our hearts to see the wonderful things in your law and lead us to the fountain of life, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.
1: So this evening
0: we talk about the third commandment, which talks about the name of God. And names, at least to me, can be very interesting. Uh, People name their children various names for different reasons. Perhaps they like the name, or perhaps the appearance of the child makes them think of something, so they name the child after that appearance, or they receive a family name. Or in the old days, sometimes parents would name their children according to the father's trade. It was often that the son would carry on that same trade. And so, for example, if you were to look up Native American names, you might find that there are some who would name their child Coaches Oakwood, for that color, of the Oakwood. Uh, perhaps some of you are Scottish or Irish, and you know of someone who has maybe, and you might know of the name... MacDonald, which means the son of Donald. That's right. And uh, some others might have the last name shoemaker, Smith, Baker, Carter, and so forth because their father or their father's father had those things as their trade. In case you're wondering, Carter comes from someone who would transport items on a cart. Uh, which is interesting to me. And so as we think about that, it's, it's interesting, and uh, names do sometimes tell us a little bit about the person. And this is the case with God. Uh, in Scripture, we learn this about the living and true God. He has several names, many names, as He revealed Himself in Scripture to us. We learn of them. And they all have different meanings and tell us something about who he is and what he has done. And so it says there, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So we're going to talk about this uh, commandment tonight and try to understand what it means. So a little bit about the context. Remember that uh, God has delivered his people out of Egypt at this time out of the house of bondage, and he did that through the Passover lamb. He brought them to Mount Sinai where he gave his law. And uh, we looked at the preface to the Ten Commandments there in verse 1, also verse 2, weeks ago. But hold your finger there in Exodus 20, and uh, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, because it's important to go back and examine this. Um. Exodus chapter 3, and as you're turning there, let me just tell you a little bit about the context of Exodus chapter 3. Years before Exodus 3, God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and Genesis 17, and he made the promise to Abraham that he would make him a great nation. And uh, it says in the scriptures that he believed God, Abraham believed God, and God credited that to him for righteousness. And so, generations later, um, God's people, I think 72 or so, descended into Egypt. They multiplied into millions, and God would eventually liberate them. But before they were liberated, uh, they were in Egypt, and that's the context here of Genesis 2, but also Exodus 2 and Exodus chapter 3. And maybe you know of this account where Moses encounters God in the burning bush. God manifests Himself in the burning bush. Moses approaches the bush and has a conversation with God. And uh, just so you know, at the end of chapter 2, it talks about the cry of Israel. And in verse 23, it says, their cry came up to God because of the bondage. Verse 24, it says, so God heard their groaning and God remembered His covenant. With whom? Abraham, Isaac, Abraham and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. So then comes Exodus chapter 3, where Moses, who is tending the flock, uh, sees this burning bush. And so in verses 5 through 10, God tells Moses what it is that he's going to do. He is going to remember his covenant with Abraham. He's going to perform that which he swore to do, that is to deliver uh, Abraham's people, God's people, from the house of bondage. And call them to himself. And uh, that's there again in verses 5 through 10. He says in verse 8, so I've come down to deliver, to save them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And so in verse 11 it says, but Moses said to God, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And so God responds, he says in verse 12, I will certainly be with you, and this will be the sign uh, that I have sent you. And he says, when I brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve or worship God on this mountain. And so then, uh, finally, um, Moses asked, well, who shall I say sent me? And in fact, he, he says there in verse 13, um, When they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Well, in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. In verse 15, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations, and he goes on. And so in the Hebrew, the the literal uh, translation or definition of that name that God gives for himself, I am, it talks about the eternality of God. He is the God who is. And it is this saying, this, this verb really, to be, to exist, is a name for God. And it's his covenant name. Uh, Sometimes you'll see in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, the word Lord, the name Lord in all caps. And that refers to the covenant name of God. Some pronounce it Yahweh, Yahweh. Uh, Others have put uh, vowels in there from Adonai, and they pronounce it Jehovah. Maybe we sing a song about Jehovah. That's the covenant name for, for God. And so in the Old Testament, whenever God comes down to his people, whether it's Adam and Eve, Adam before that, or Abraham or Noah, guess what? In the scriptures, the word Lord appears. And in the Hebrew, it's that word Yahweh, which means to be. God's making a covenant with his people. That's his covenant name that he uses. That's what he uses right here in Exodus chapter 3. Hearkening back to Abraham the covenant and the promises that he made to Abraham. Also, as he talks with Moses here, the same name, that is the verb to be, I am. And then as he does in Exodus 20, in the very commandment that we are looking at in verse 7, it says, the Lord. In fact, it says, you shall not take the name of the Lord, that is Yahweh, your God, in vain. And so this name refers to what God has done in His plan of redemption. Remember, Israel was in the house of bondage. They were in slavery under Pharaoh. God delivered them only through the shed blood of the Passover lamb. He led them through the parted sea. He destroyed all of his and their enemies there. And then He brought them finally to the mountain where He gave them His law where he would say, this is now how I want you to live and light the salvation that I brought to you. And so that's what God is doing. Now this is interesting. This has significance to us today who are Christians because we are the true Israel. As Paul talks about in Galatians 6, as he talks about in Romans 2. And also because of what Jesus says in John chapter 8. You know, in in John's gospel, there are those I am statements of Jesus. Well, Jesus is actually doing something. He's hearkening back to the Old Testament, to the covenant of God, the grace of God, the covenant of grace that God made with all the patriarchs. And so there are those I am statements. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the father, but through me. Well, in John chapter 8, there's another I am statement of Jesus. And guess what? There are those in John 8, the Pharisees, the scribes, and and those guys. And they were thinking, well, because my great-granddaddy was a member of the church, and because my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was Abraham himself, I am God's child. I am a member of the church. I'm going to heaven because of my my pedigree, my physical lineage, which goes back to Abraham. And you see, what matters is faith. Not that you're a physical descendant of Abraham, but that you are a spiritual descendant of Abraham. That you have the faith of Abraham. That is what is important. Jesus teaches that here. Well, he has this conversation and he's laboring to teach that point to them. And so then they claim, you know, God is their father Jesus, in verse 42 of John chapter 8, says to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come to myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. Then he says, you are of your father, the devil. And so, he, you know, you can imagine these, these leaders in the church are getting upset at this point. They are. And then they're they're questioning Jesus' legitimacy, his office as a teacher. And so in verse 54, he says, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. He talks about honoring his father. Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw and was glad. And so Jesus connects the faith of Abraham to himself. Um, Abraham may not have specifically known and understood every facet and detail of the gospel, but as Paul says in Galatians 3, God preached the gospel to Abraham, saying that in you all the nations shall be blessed. And the point there is that because of Abraham there would be one to come from him who would bless the nations. That's Jesus. And so Abraham heard the gospel in that form and he believed it. Well, Jesus says the same thing here. He saw my day and he rejoiced. He had faith in the promise of God, the gospel. And so Jesus says this. And of course, they say to him in verse 57 of John 8, you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? They totally misunderstand. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Why did Jesus say that? Jesus is hearkening back to Exodus three. Jesus is the great I am. Jesus pre-existed before he was born of the virgin, meaning he's the second person of the Godhead. He is part of the Godhead, the Triune God. Before Abraham was, he existed, and very well it could have been that Jesus, in fact, was the one talking to. Moses in the burning bush at Exodus 3, that member of the Godhead. He is the Word. John begins in John chapter 1. So the point is that Jesus Himself is the embodiment of the great I Am. So the commandment back in Exodus 20 and verse 7 says, You shall not take the name of Yahweh, the Lord, your God, Elohim, the generic word for God, in vain. And so this is their God. The God who has saved them is Yahweh. And so in other words, the God who has called them out of Egypt, the God who has delivered them, the God who is calling them to a new way of life, they shall revere his name and not take it in vain. And so the same is true for us today. We who are Christians, we may not have ever stepped foot into Egypt, but we lived in spiritual Egypt. We were in the house of bondage. He who commits sin, Jesus says, is a slave to sin. And that old serpent, the devil, was our Pharaoh. And so God delivered us from him. He saved us through the blood of the Passover himself, Christ, who is our Passover, Paul says. And so we've been given freedom to live unto God. And so 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away, all things are new. And so God has called Christians to live a new way of life. And part of that life is obeying his commandments here in Exodus 20. For Jesus says, If you love me, keep mine commandments. John 14, 15. And so, part of our following Christ is applying this same commandment. So then the question for us today is, what in the world does this mean? How is this sin committed? If one takes God's name in vain, what does that look like? And therefore, how should we avoid that? That's the answer that we want to find tonight. Now, it's interesting in the Hebrew, instead of take the name in vain, it literally says lifts up. And uh, it says that we shall not lift up the name of the Lord, our God, in vain. And I think the idea is that God hears. Whenever we speak, our voice goes up to God. What does it mean to take it in vain? Well, um, this is what it means. Of course, it means to to swear and use curse words. And to invoke God's name in that way. But also, to use it in vain means to use it lightly. As one says, I guess this is the word, unthinkingly. By rote, that is, thoughtlessly. We could say carelessly. That's what it means to take God's name in vain. So positively. When you think about who God is, He is not only our Creator, He is our Redeemer, He is our Savior, our Deliverer. Psalm 29 and verse 2 says this, Give unto the Lord the glory due to His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. God deserves our worship not only because of His glorious creation which we'll be enjoying His creation this summer if we can afford the gas and all that. All I have to do is step outside and look at the beautiful sky. I mean, these clouds which have the blue sky for a backdrop, that just puts me in awe. But God is our Creator. We worship Him because of that, no doubt. But also because He is our Redeemer. He has saved us. He's forgiven us of all of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, to give God glory, That is due to His name. That's what it means. It's not just that the word Yahweh is beautiful. I mean, it is. But it's beautiful because of who God is. And what He's done. It's like the name Jesus. Talk about that in a minute. Psalm 66 verse 2 says, Sing out the honor of His name. Make His praise glorious. So this is why Israel was saved, this is why they were delivered. Not so that they would commit lies and deceit and invoke the gods of the nations, no. It was so that they could reflect the character of their covenant God who had saved them. And the same is true for us today. Now speaking about Jesus' name, this is interesting. Maybe some of you have have studied this before. Um, Of course, we are to lift up Jesus' name before the nations to the nations uh, declaring Him that whoever calls on His name shall be saved. The word Jesus is a, an English transliteration of the Greek word Yesus. Um, I'm about to get confused. It's a transliteration of the Greek name Yesus. So in the Greek, that's how you pronounce Jesus's name, Jesus' name, Yesus. And Yesus, that Greek name for Jesus is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew name Yeshua, Joshua. And Joshua means what? The Lord is salvation. And so Jesus is our salvation. Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. That's what his name literally means. And so as Philippians 2 says, He's been given the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that He is Lord. What a wonderful name it is. And by the way, in Acts chapter 11, in verse 26, we are told that it was in the city of Antioch that the disciples were first called, what? Christians. You know what the word Christian means? Literally. Little Christ. Now, we are not little gods. That is a heresy that has been resurrected through the ages. I think more recently, I'm not going to name a name because I haven't searched it out, but I've heard it. No, we're not little gods. We're made in God's image, but there's a difference, there's a separation between God and us. We're not eternal. We're not infinite. We are finite. We are created. All of that. And yet, Uh, It probably was something of a derogatory name, but the disciples were called Christians, and we gladly take upon ourselves that name because we follow Christ. Okay, so as, as we think about the context in which this commandment was given, as we think about its history and what it means to take God's name in vain, how do we apply it? That's the question. Well, obviously we should handle the name of God with great care and not handle it carelessly. And uh, as, as I've already mentioned, uh, cursing and using God's name as a curse word is forbidden, no doubt. When someone uses God's name as a curse word, they are revealing what is in their heart. They are revealing the irreverence for God's name and therefore the irreverence they have for God Himself. And so they profane the one who is holy, at least His name. In Malachi 1.6, God says to His people, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the Father, where is my honor? And if I am Master, where is my reverence? I remember I was 16 years old in public school, walking with some friends who also went to church, a different church, and probably for the first time, I took God's name in vain and used it as a curse word. And immediately, I was convicted. And one of my friends looked at me and said, Ken, why did you say that? And I didn't think he was really, I didn't know he was really a serious Christian, but I offended it. And I regret to say that I can probably remember the couple of times that I've done that in my life and regretted it. May that not be the case of you, children. May you use God's name with great care and with great reverence as the commandment requires but you see in our culture today so many people they use the name of jesus uh, jesus the anointed jesus christ like it's an adjective or like they know him personally when they're using it for a curse word and to that we could respond and say you use that name rather frequently do you know him that could be a door to evangelism Uh, Now, you have to know the person and anticipate their response and their circumstance and all that, but that could be a way to lead into the gospel. Now, for our social media culture today, you may not walk around saying GD and JC and all of this, but do you type the letters O-M-G? If you do, you're taking God's name in vain because you're using it Carelessly, lightly, in vain. And so we ought not to do that. In the Bible, um, this can be um, committed in various ways. um, Swearing by God in court. Committing perjury. uh, Taking sinful oaths and vows. There are other ways in Scriptures, perhaps, we may not think about this. But other ways that we could commit this sin. Um, for instance, a curious prying into God's providences. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things are for whom? The Lord. But that which he has revealed is for us and our children. And our children's children that we may do them. Also, this is important. Uh, misinterpreting. Mis- I mean, I'm a pastor. I-, I have to like study the word. I, don't, I shouldn't say have to, I enjoy it. I get to study the Word every week. But I have to be careful. I'm sure there are times when I misinterpreted the Bible. But that's the way we take God's name in vain. Misapplying the Bible, or any way perverting the Word of God. You know, in Matthew 5, Jesus basically has to rescue the law from the scribes and Pharisees. He says, you have heard it was said, but I say unto you, they had externalized the law. But early on, God talks, even in in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, he talks about loving God with your heart, from the heart. They had externalized everything, so Jesus takes it and he shows them. You know what, yeah, it says you shall not commit murder, but I say unto you if you hate your brother in your heart. For no reason, you've committed murder in your heart. And so that's a form of taking God's name in vain. Because his word reveals his character. It reveals who he is. So that's the name of God in that sense. In Ezekiel 13.22, God speaks through Ezekiel and tells the false prophets, because with lies you have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad. You have strengthened the hands of the wicked. Another way this sin could be committed is to make Uh, or to mistreat those who have stood for God's truth. Maybe in our day and time we stand for God's truth, we're ridiculed, uh, we're persecuted for that, so be it. But in Acts 13.45 it says, But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Paul spoke the truth of God's word, he spoke the gospel. They opposed it. And therefore, they blasphemed God. Also making a false profession of faith. Professing to be a Christian when one is not. That is another way to take God's name in vain. Remember, the disciples were first called what? Christians at Antioch. In Matthew seven twenty one. Jesus talks about the day of judgment. There will be those who come and stand before Him and they say, Lord, Lord. You know, if you say His name twice, that's a term of endearment, a way to say that you're acquainted, you're familiar with Him. But He will say, depart from Me. I never knew you. And so we, the person may take God's name in vain by claiming to be a Christian when he or she is not. And if that's true, it's also true for an organization to profess to be a Christian organization also known as the church when they do not believe the Word of God or they pick and choose and they believe heresies. That's taking God's name. So to to say you're a Christian church but you deny all of these cardinal truths of the Christian faith and the Word of God, that's taking His name in vain. That's blasphemy. I don't get that, by the way. Just go join a country club and say you're going to do good for society. I don't understand. But maybe that's because I don't have a grasp of the way it is possible for a sinful heart to deceive a person. God says many things. There are many ways that this can happen. I would encourage you to read larger catechism. One twelve, which talks about all of the different ways that this can be committed. And so if you notice in the commandment, verse 7, Exodus 20, it says, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And so this is a warning to the blasphemer. This is a warning that God will hold him accountable. Now maybe you haven't committed blasphemy in this way. Maybe you haven't committed perjury in court of law. But you've perhaps made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe there have been times where you've not lived up to that profession of faith. That's taking God's name in vain. Or you've shrugged off a verse here or there. You've discredited, discounted the kind uh, correction from Scripture from a kind friend. Maybe you've approached a sermon like it's a spiritual buffet. I like that. I don't like that. If it's unbiblical, then reject it, no doubt. But if it's biblical, we're all obliged to believe it and do it. Maybe you haven't believed the right thing about God. In one sense, that's idolatry. It's also committing... Or it's also taking God's name in vain, I should say. And so what are we to do? Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, flee to the one who perfectly obeyed this commandment. And to his own hurt, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who prayed, not my will, but your will be done. The one who, when he was reviled, First Peter 2.23 says, did not revile in return. The one whose nickname in the Scriptures is the man of sorrows himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, confess that sin to God. Repent of it, turn from it, and seek to obey it. And hold up the name of Christ highly, with joy of course, we confess our sins to God. We have that wonderful promise in 1 John 1 9. It says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all our sins and all unrighteousness. Isn't that glorious? That's the gospel. And it's possible through Jesus Christ and him alone, because he obeyed the Father's law perfectly so that he could be the perfect sacrifice and shed His blood and be our Passover and provide forgiveness of sins for us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We confess again our sins to You. We pray that You would help us, as Paul says, to walk worthy of the calling we have received, to bring honor to Your name, that when we say Your name, that we would handle it with care, that we would not be afraid to say it or mention it, but that when we do, we would use it with joy, with reverence. And Lord, may it be because we have reverence and love and joy in our hearts for You. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.